heaven-bound. In our previous study entitled, The Second Coming, I'm sure that you became fascinated as I did as we discovered the reactions that were manifested by both the righteous and the wicked as they beheld the sudden appearance of Christ in the clouds with great glory in his second coming. Our study today will reveal what will happen to the wicked who have rejected truth to become united with Babylon the Great, and we shall find in inspiration how Satan will be bound to planet Earth. Then we shall thrill in the revealed knowledge of the redeemed as they journey to heaven from this sin-cursed earth and learn of their coronation and entrance into the holy city. In order for us to fully comprehend such revealed truth, let us first seek our God in prayer <clears throat> Dear loving Father, could it be that we are nearer this great event than many of us realize when we shall be heaven-bound, filled with wonders of celestial excitement? May we understand the reality of this soon-coming event and be spirit-filled with divine conviction that will enable us to unite with godly power that we may overcome every temptation of Satan and be found worthy to walk the streets of gold and eat of the tree of life and join the angelic choir in praising thy dear Son. Please, Father, Open our eyes to behold and remember these precious wonders so soon to take place. For we ask this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Turning to divine scripture, let us refresh our memories by reading Revelation 22, 1-7. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, <clears throat> and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle neither the light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. 
And he said unto me, These things are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now I know that you are as anxious as I am to study about the saints' trip to heaven. But before we enjoy the anticipated wonders of heaven, we must spend time to consider the judgments of God that are to fall upon the lost. All of the wicked have made their decision in the great controversy. Now the time has arrived in which the judgments of God are with man as well as with angels. In Jeremiah 25:31, we read, A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword. In Great Controversy, page 656, quote, For six thousand years the Great Controversy has been in progress. The Son of God and His heavenly messengers have been in conflict with the power of the evil one to warn, enlighten, and save the children of men. Now all have made their decisions. The wicked have fully united with Satan in his warfare against God. The time has come for God to vindicate the authority of his downtrodden law. Now the controversy is not alone with Satan, but with men. The Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will give them that are wicked to the sword. This is the time <clears throat> that those with a slaughtering weapon shall go forth. This work of destruction begins with those who have been the spiritual guardians of the people. Great Controversy, page 656, quote, The mark of deliverance has been set upon those that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done. Now the angel of death goes forth, represented in Ezekiel's vision by the men with the slaughtering weapons, to whom the command is given Slay utterly, old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Says the prophet, they began at the ancient of men, which were before the house. Ezekiel 9, 1-6. The work of destruction begins among those who have professed to be the spiritual guardians of the people. The false watchmen are the first to fall. 
there are none to pity or to spare. Men, women, maidens, and little children perish together. It is of interest to note that it is by the strife of men and wrath from God that the wicked are slain. Isaiah 26:21. The Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Zechariah 14, 12, and 13. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor." Unquote. Commenting on these two scriptures, the Spirit of Prophecy states in Great Controversy 657, in the mad strife of their own fierce passions and by the awful outpouring of God's unmingled wrath fall the wicked inhabitants of the earth, priests, rulers, and people, rich and poor, high and low, and the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered, nor buried. Jeremiah 25:33. At the coming of Christ, the wicked are blotted from the face of the whole earth, consumed with the spirit of his mouth, and destroyed by the brightness of his glory." Unquote. Since the wicked have identified themselves with sin, they will die in the destruction of sin. Listen to this carefully. I'm quoting. To sin, wherever found, our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12:29 In all who submit to his power the spirit of god will consume sin but if men cling to sin they become identified with it then the glory of god which destroys sin must destroy them desire of ages page 107. And how is this accomplished? The wicked are slain by his glory. Desire of ages 600. The glory of his countenance, which to the righteous is life, will be to the wicked a consuming fire. Unquote. This death by God is an act of mercy. I'm quoting, 
Could those whose hearts are filled with the hatred of God, of truth and holiness, mingle with heavenly throng and join their songs of praise? Could they endure the glory of God and the Lamb? No, no. Years of probation were granted them that they might form characters for heaven. But they have never trained the mind to love purity. They have never learned the language of heaven. And now it is too late. A life of rebellion against God has unfitted them for heaven. Its purity, holiness, and peace would be torture to them. The glory of God would be a consuming fire. They would long to flee from the holy place. They would welcome destruction that they might be hidden from the face of him who died to redeem them. The destiny of the wicked is fixed by their own choice. Their exclusion from heaven is voluntary with themselves and just and merciful on the part of God." Unquote. That's taken from the Great Controversy, page 542. Thus the wicked are responsible for their own death. Reading in Testimonies 5, page 120. God destroys no one. The sinner destroys himself by his own impenitence. Reading further in Great Controversy, page 657, quote, Christ takes his people to the city of God, and the earth is emptied of its inhabitants. The whole earth appears like a desolate wilderness. The ruins of the cities and villages destroyed by the earthquake, uprooted trees, ragged rocks thrown out by the sea, or torn out of the earth itself, are scattered over its surface, while vast caverns mark the spot where the mountains have been rent from their foundations." Unquote. Now this description becomes even more vivid when we read from Early Writings, page 290, quote, The earth looked like a desolate wilderness, cities and villages, shaken down by the earthquake, lay in heaps. Mountains had been moved out of their places, leaving large caverns. Ragged rocks thrown out by the sea or torn out of the earth itself were scattered all over the surface. Large trees had been uprooted and were strewn over the land. Here is to be the home of Satan with his evil angels for a thousand years." Unquote. Now this is the time when the sins of the people are placed upon the scapegoat. Quote, now the event takes place foreshadowed in the last service of the Day of Atonement, when the ministration in the Holy of Holies 
had been accomplished and the sins of Israel had been removed from the sanctuary by virtue of the blood of the sin offering. Then the scapegoat was presented alive before the Lord. And in the presence of the congregation, the high priest confessed over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. Leviticus 16.21 In like manner, when the work of atonement in the heavenly sanctuary has been completed, then in the presence of God and heavenly angels and the host of the redeemed, the saints of God's people, the sins of God's people will be placed upon Satan. He will be declared guilty of all the evil which he has caused them to commit. And as the scapegoat was sent away into the land not inhabited, so Satan will be banished to the desolate earth, an uninhabited and dreary wilderness. Unquote. Great Controversy, 658. Justice demands that Satan bear the penalty for all the sins which he caused God's people to commit. I'm quoting. When Christ, by virtue of his own blood, removes the sins of his people from the heavenly sanctuary at the close of his ministration, he will place them upon Satan, who, in the execution of the judgment, must bear the final penalty. Great Controversy 422. And then we read, quote, Satan, bearing the guilt of all the sins which he has caused God's people to commit, will be for a thousand years confined to the earth, which will then be desolate, without inhabitant, and will at last suffer the full penalty of sin in the fires that shall destroy all the wicked. Great Controversy 485. It is now, for the first time since the beginning, that Satan is limited to planet Earth. Quote, the Revelator foretells the banishment of Satan and the condition of chaos and desolation to which the earth is to be reduced. And he declares that this condition will exist for a thousand years. After presenting the scenes of the Lord's second coming and the destruction of the wicked, the prophecy continues, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. 
And after that, he must be loosed a little season, unquote. Great Controversy 658. Can you imagine the joy that will be expressed by the angels of heaven and the redeemed at the confinement of Satan and his evil angels to this earth? Quote, I heard shouts of triumph from the angels and from the redeemed saints, which sounded like 10,000 musical instruments, because they were to be no more annoyed and tempted by Satan, and because the inhabitants of the other worlds were delivered from his presence and his temptations. Early Writings, page 290. So much for what will happen to the wicked and the devil and his angels when Christ comes. Now, for the remaining of our study, <clears throat> let us consider what takes place as the saints of God meet the Lord in the sky. I'm quoting. There stands the risen host. The last thought was of death and its pangs. The last thoughts they had were of the grave and the tomb. But now they proclaim, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Here they stand, and the finishing touch of immortality is put upon them, and they go up to meet their Lord in the air. There are the columns of angels on either side. Then the angelic choir strikes the note of victory, and the angels in the two columns take up the song and the redeemed host join as though they had been singing the song on the earth. And they have been. Oh, what music! There is not an inharmonious note. Every voice proclaims, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Sons and Daughters of God, page 359. As the saints ascend to the holy city, consider what takes place. Quote, Friends long separated by death are united, never more to part, and with songs of gladness ascend together to the city of God. On each side of the cloudy chariot are wings, and beneath it are living wheels. And as the chariot rolls upward, the wheels cry, Holy, and the wings as they move cry, Holy, and the retinue of holy angels cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And the redeemed, they shout, Hallelujah, as the chariot moves onward toward the new Jerusalem. Great Controversy, page 645. 
It is here that I discovered the title for this sermon tape, Homeward Bound. Quote, How glorious it will be to see him and be welcomed as his redeemed ones. Long have we waited, but our hope is not to grow dim. If we can but see the king in his beauty, we shall be forever blessed. I feel as if I must cry aloud, Homeward Bound. Testimonies, Volume 3, page 253. And friend, oh, what a journey this is going to be, for it will take seven days. Quote, We entered the cloud together and were seven days ascending to the sea of glass. Early Writings, page 16. It is on this sea of glass, outside the New Jerusalem, that the coronation of the saints take place. Consider with me this sequence. Here we find the saints clothed in glorious white robes. They are in a hollow square with Jesus in the center. The angels bring the crowns they have prepared to Jesus, and he personally places a crown on each saint. Then the angels bring a harp for each saint, which Jesus himself hands to all who have received a crown. When all have received a crown and a harp, the commanding angel strikes a note and all sweep the strings of their harps and sing praises to Christ. Listen now as I read this, quote, Before entering the city of God, the Savior bestows upon his followers the emblems of victory and invests them with the insignia of their royal state. The glittering ranks are drawn up in the form of a hollow square about their king, whose form rises in majesty high above saint and angel, whose countenance beams upon them full of benignant love. Throughout the unnumbered host of the redeemed, every glance is fixed upon him, every eye beholds his glory whose vestige was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Upon the heads of the overcomers, Jesus, with his own right hand, places the crown of glory. For each there is a crown bearing his own new name. Revelation 2.17 and the inscription, Holiness to the Lord. In every hand are placed the victor's palm and shining harp. Then, as the commanding angel strikes the note, every hand sweeps the harp strings with skillful touch, awakening sweet music in rich, melodious strains. Rapture unutterable thrills every heart, and each voice 
is raised in grateful praise unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. That was taken from Great Controversy, page four, page 645. Oh, what a glorious description! Yet, as we compare early writings, the picture of this glorious reality is brought in even a greater focus. Quote, Jesus brought the crowns and with his own right placed them on our heads. He gave us harps of gold and palms of victory. Here on the sea of glass, the 144,000 stood in a perfect square. Some of them had very bright crowns, others not so bright. Some crowns appeared heavy with stars, while others had but few. All were perfectly satisfied with their crowns, and they were all clothed with a glorious white mantle from their shoulders to their feet. Early Writings, page 16 and 17. Another view is found in Early Writings, page 288, quote, When I saw a very great, then I saw a very great number of angels bring from the city glorious crowns, a crown for every saint, with his name written thereon. As Jesus called for the crowns, angels presented them to him. And with his own right hand, the lovely Jesus placed the crowns on the heads of the saints. The commanding angel first struck the note, and then every voice was raised in grateful, happy praise. And every hand skillfully swept over the strings of the harp, sending forth melodious music in rich and perfect strains." Unquote. As the saints received their crowns, a very touching event takes place. Listen, for many will thank their mothers. Quote, the day of God will reveal how much the world owes to godly mothers. When the judgment shall sit and the book shall be opened, when the well done of the great judge is pronounced and the crown of immortal glory is placed upon the, bow, the brow of the victor, many will raise their crowns in sight of the assembled universe and pointing to their mother say, she made me all that I am through the grace of God. Her instructions, her prayers, have been blessed to my eternal salvation. Maranatha, page 308. 
And can you imagine the joy of parents? Quote, With joy unutterable, parents see the crown, the robe, the harp, given to their children. The days of hope and fear are ended. The seed sown with tears and prayers may have seemed to be sown in vain, but their harvest is reaped with joy at last. Their children have been redeemed. Unquote. Maranatha, page 308. Isn't that a thrilling thing to consider? But let us not forget for a moment the joy that will be found in the heart of Christ. As he looks upon his saints, I'm quoting, in the result of his work, Christ will behold its recompense. In that great multitude which no man can number, presented faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, he whose blood has redeemed and whose life has taught us shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied." Unquote. From the book Education, page 309. Then our loving Savior will lead the entire company across the sea of glass to the holy city. Jesus will open the gate and tell his saints, you have washed your robes in my blood and stood stiffly for the truth. Enter in. Jesus leads the way within the city and all feel they have a perfect right to be there. Here they discover Adam's original home, the Garden of Eden. As Jesus says, your conflict is ended. Come, ye blessed of my Father. In early writings, page 17, we read, all marched in and felt that we had a perfect right to the city, unquote. And why should we feel this way? Ellen White explains this on page 35 of the same book. Jesus threw open the gates of the golden city and let us in. Here we were made welcome, for we had kept the commandments of God and had a right to the tree of life. Before the ransom throng is the holy city. Jesus opens the gates and the nations that have kept the truth enter in. There they behold the paradise of God, the home of Adam in his innocency. Then that voice richer than any music that ever fell on mortal ears is heard saying, Your conflict is ended. Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Great Controversy 646. Oh, what a God! Just to think that he would give us a preview of the holy city. I'm quoting, within the city, 
There was everything to feast the eyes. Rich glory they beheld everywhere. Then Jesus looked upon his redeemed saints. Their countenance were radiant with glory. And as he fixed his loving eyes upon them, he said with his rich musical voice, I behold the travail of my soul and am satisfied. This rich glory is yours to enjoy eternally. Your sorrows are ended. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. I saw the redeemed hosts bow and cast their glittering crowns at the feet of Jesus. And then, as his lovely hand raised them up, they touched their golden harps and filled all heaven with their rich music and songs to the Lamb. Early Writings, page 288. It is at this time the two atoms are to meet. Try to catch the celestial excitement. Quote, As the ransomed ones are welcomed to the city of God, there rings out upon the air an exultant cry of adoration. The two atoms are about to meet. The Son of God is standing with outstretched arms to receive the Father of our race, the being whom he created, who sinned against his Maker, and for whose sin the marks of the crucifixion are borne upon the Savior's form. As Adam discerns the prince of the cruel nails, he does not fall upon the bosom of his Lord, but in humiliation casts himself at his feet, crying, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Tenderly the Savior lifts him up and bids him look once more upon the Eden home from which he has so long been exiled. Great Controversy 647. And now, Adam views the Garden of Eden, the very same Eden in which Adam and his family had worshipped and praised God before sinner entered the earth. I am continuing to read, quote, Transported with joy, Adam beholds the tree that was once his delight, the very trees whose fruit he himself had gathered in the days of his innocency and joy. He sees the vines that his own hands trained, the very flowers that he once loved to care for. His mind grasps the reality of the scene. He comprehends that this is indeed Eden restored, more lovely now than when he was banished from it. The Savior leads him to the tree of life and plucks the glorious fruit and bids him eat. He looks about him and beholds a multitude of his family redeemed, standing in the paradise of God. 
Then he casts his glittering crown at the feet of Jesus and falling upon his breast embraces the Redeemer. He touches the golden harp and the vaults of heaven echo the triumph song. Worthy, worthy, worthy as the lamb that was slain and lives again. The family of Adam take up the strain and cast their crowns at the Savior's feet and they bow before him in adoration. Try to envision with me the feelings of the redeemed as they behold the tree of life and the throne of God. I'm reading from Early Writings, page 17. Here we saw the tree of life and the throne of God. Out of the throne came a pure river of water, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. On one side of the river was a trunk of a tree, and a trunk on the other side of the river, both of pure, transparent gold. At first, I thought I saw two trees. I looked again and saw that they were united at the top in one tree. So it was the tree of life on either side of the river of life. Its branches bowed to the place where we stood, and the fruit was glorious. It looked like gold mixed with silver." Unquote. But friend, what can compare with the moment when the saved will actually eat of the tree of life? Quote, I saw Jesus lead his people to the tree of life, and again we heard his lovely voice, richer than any music that ever fell on mortal ears, saying, The leaves